0: And welcome to Once More With Commentary, a Buffy and Angel podcast. I'm Ginny. And I'm Allie. And today we're going to talk about Checkpoint. And for Angel, we're talking about an episode called Blood Ties. Blood Money. I'm sorry. Blood Ties is the next Buffy episode. (laughs) Uh, Whoops. Let me update my little notes. Uh, Yes. Thank you. It's funny because I had that thought when I looked at the episode. I was like, oh, that's funny. They have two blood episode names back to back. (laughs) I should have known that was going to happen. Anyway, how are you? I'm good.
1: Um, You're a little I'm fr- frantic. I'm frazzled, but yeah. I'm good. <laughs> I, I bring these things on myself. It's fine. It's true. Um, I was thinking about it. Like I, well, you guys don't know what I'm talking about, but I, I'm like planning <laughs> like a brunch for a bunch of people to come over today. And as usual, I plan to make too many things and mm-hmm. I always have like, of course, and I'm like making stuff from scratch, but like I was thinking about it this morning Like, I had to wake up, you know, pretty early for a Saturday to like finish stuff. But I was like, you know what? In a weird way, this is really relaxing. Like, I'm stressed, but the stress is almost relaxing me because it's stress that I can deal with. Right,
0: right. You still have control over the situation. Yeah, it's like
1: almost like an exercise, I guess. Like, you know, like when you go to yoga and like it sucks while you're doing it, but then afterwards you feel really good. Or like exercise in general. Sure.
0: Side note: I've never felt that high after exercise. (laughs) People, my entire life, it's literally documented everywhere. Like it releases, uh, what's it called? Right, like makes you feel better. Never, (laughs) never, ever, ever. Occasionally, I have energy that I feel like I need to burn off, and I'll like go for a run. That happens like once every three years, maybe. But I just mean to
1: say, I. Am waiting for those
0: endorphins to ever reach me. I have never felt them.
1: I mean, it's not like a feeling of glee, but it's like a, satis- a feeling of no. like satisfaction of like nope. having done something. I guess it's more like that.
0: <laughs> anyway, but that's funny though because as you were describing this situation, I was thinking like, I I think we do have similar in- inclinations, perhaps. Yeah, I, I definitely don't think I. You know, I don't cook as much as you, especially not anymore. Or, like, bake and host and stuff. But there, I do, I get, I end up in the same rabbit hole probably with like cleaning or organizing, or maybe even decorating sometimes, where it's like, oh, all I need to do before someone comes over is like vacuum and like clean the sink. And then I'll be like, okay, but also like if I clean the toilet and like the tub, then like that would be better. And then, like 30 minutes later, I'm like scrubbing the grout of my floor in the bathroom, being like, How did I get to this place? But I need to do it before someone else comes. But I know what you mean, though, where it is also really satisfying and relaxing at the end. So I 100% I will, relate. Side note, I will, I, that is a literal I will tell situation you, much that happened. like to- you've
1: never had a runner side. Yeah. I have never in my life had that to me. I, this just this morning was like, I'll clean the toilet and make the mirror, like, presentable, and that will have to do. (laughs) Uh,
0: No, I literally did that with the bathroom grout. That that story started hypothetical and then turned into a real thing that I did two weeks ago where I was like, well, if I just cleaned all the grout, it'll be great. (laughs) That was last weekend, even. But, yeah, so So, I don't do it with cooking, but I totally know what you're talking about, where you're like, it's one more thing. I can just do this one more thing, and then everything will be perfect. And it is stressful, but it's also, like, yeah, it is relaxing because it's, like, you know what you're doing, even if it's, like, maybe ill-advised.
1: Yeah. I guess the answer is these things are very personal yeah. <laughs> to each person.
0: What's your obsession, <laughs> listeners?
1: <laughs> um, I did have a question I wanted to ask you, though. Mm. Did you see the new Sabrina teaser?
0: Yes, I did. I watched it last night. It was so <laughs> cool. <laughs> oh, my God. I got into a whole thing. I occasionally... Mm. So, I, I'm still newish at my job, and you know, I don't know what I've talked about on this uh, podcast, but certainly, do you? You know, I, I'm just, I'm still kind of getting comfortable with everybody there and deciding what I want my, you know, right. friendship levels to be or whatever. But, um, occasionally someone will bring up something where I can't control myself. <laughs> I'm like, I have. To. So, like, I guess what I'm saying is that I've generally been more reserved and I don't really bring up, like, my own topics or whatever. But some, we were uh, having some breakfast pastries yesterday and somebody was like, oh, did anyone see the new Sabrina trailer? And I was like, she was like, it was so dark, it's not what I was expecting. And I was like, oh, it's a comic. It's a Riverdale. Oh, afterlife with Archie. And then, like, it was a whole word vomit situation. I was like, "Oh my, afterwards, I was like, maybe I should not have said all that. And I was like, yeah, whatever. Anyway.
1: So, and now, since you also like attacked that girl with her Betty and Veronica stuff, yeah,
0: like- <laughs> I'm hoping to get a reputation. I guess. <laughs> Hello, I love Archie. <laughs> Side note: I went to go see if maybe they had Sabrina merch now that it's fall and the Sabrina show is coming out, and they don't, which is disappointing. So,
1: maybe because it's not the same broadcaster, like they may they may not have the same like merchandising deals.
0: But that would all be separate, because the Betty and Veronica store is all... That's just a license that they must have to Archie Comics, who does certainly own Sabrina.
1: Oh. Yeah. I was just well, curious. Maybe they're just behind the curve. They might be. Anyway, this
0: trailer. the teaser was great. I didn't watch it until last night, but I... It looks exactly like what I was hoping for. I'm so excited.
1: It looks... Freaky, and ah. like oh, I God. know I'm gonna watch it, but like oh my God. I'm gonna have to come up with some coping mechanisms. Yeah, <laughs> I am gonna. Scare it the did crap look out pretty freaky. I
0: hope it's scary. I hope it's scary because not a lot of things. I don't know. Not a lot of things are scary. Anyway, I'm glad you brought that up. All of my recommendations this week have to do with Halloween. I'm pretty fully in the throes of Halloween as of like two days ago, so.
1: Yeah, I refuse. It's not October. I'm not. I'm not giving <sighs> commercial interest this win. It's I not can't commercial
0: do it. interest. I don't have a decorations up, but I'm reading scary things, watching scary things, getting in the mood.
1: Okay, that's fine. But like, I went. To I the mean, I have one decoration: of pumpkins.
0: No, 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 I'm not gonna buy a pumpkin. I. I uh, it's still uh,
1: technically summer.
0: Well, that is meaningless. I don't care about that. But um, I can show some restraint with decorations. However. I do sometimes buy flowers for our apartment, and two, two weekends ago, I don't know, I had um, a bunch of red roses, and they obviously died, but I was like, well, I guess these are just going to stay here until Halloween's over, so I, technically I have one decoration up, but that was more incidental, that I can't let these beautiful dead flowers go to waste, they're perfect, so...
1: Actually, and they look really cool when that happens. I had a rose on my they desk at work one time, yeah. and I just let it sit there, and people were like, oh, are you going to put that away? And I was like, at this <laughs> point, I kind of wanted to see what happens to
0: it. That's literally a joke from Liz Lemon. Is it? <laughs> well, she talks about how her, she has had a pumpkin in front of her apartment for like a year, and she was like, it's gotten so small that I just want to see if it
1: disappears. <laughs> <laughs> well, it didn't shrink. It yeah. just kind of dried up, and then the bottom got really moldy. So. Yeah. Anyway.
0: (laughs) Anyway. Let's um, talk about Buffy. We should talk about Buffy. I feel good about these uh, episodes this week, so. Mm -hmm. And there's just a lot to unpack with Checkpoint, specifically.
1: Checkpoint? Oh, my God.
0: I mean. Checkpoint
1: has one of my, maybe my favorite scene of the entire show. Okay. So. Great. Can't wait.
0: I'm excited to talk about it.
1: Yeah. So,
0: okay. So, Checkpoint. We knew in the last episode that Giles went to go see the Watcher's Council and asked them for help on this glory situation because the Scoobies have pretty much hit a dead end, so this picks up from that, you know, he came back at the end of the last episode. So, um, you know, the Scoobies kind of start out talking about like what is going to happen. It turns out that to deliver the information, the council didn't just give anything to Giles, but, or actually, I guess this happened after he got back that they found something. So they decided they're going to come visit rather than like, just tell him what it is over the phone, but they arrive. It's not just Quentin, the guy we met a few seasons back, but it's like him and a couple of, you know, other council members, Um, And they pretty much immediately arrive to the magic shop and just start making really harsh judgments, making big demands of Buffy and Giles specifically and holding back this information that they have about Gloria as collateral, basically saying, like, if you don't pass our tests and meet up to our measurements and meet certain requirements, then we're not going to tell you what you need to know. So for, and they seem to have, you know, they're, they're kind of a shady institution that does seem to have real power. At one point they threatened to deport Giles and it's clear that that's something that they would be able to do. So Buffy and the Scoobies all more or less go along with this. Um, They, the council conducts interviews with everybody to try and ask about Buffy and they also put her through a series of tests, like physical tests and whatnot. And yeah, meanwhile, Glory's still around, (laughs) and she learns a little bit more about Buffy via Ben in a way that we still don't really... isn't totally clear. So she finds out where she lives and ends up going to Buffy's house, which is really scary to Buffy. (laughs) Um, So, of course, Glory is just trying to find out where her key is, and she knows that Buffy knows. So kind of, you know, she doesn't end up doing any damage Per se, But Buffy is pretty shaken up about this, that Glory knows where she lives now and that she, you know, her mom and her sister are even more in danger than they were before, et cetera, et cetera. So as Buffy's going, she's supposed to go have one final test with the council at the magic shop as she's on her way to meet them after this run in with Glory. um, First of all, she drops her mom and Dawn off with Spike to watch over them because she's going to be occupied and he's kind of the strongest person around. And then as she heads back to the magic shop, she then gets assaulted by a bunch of armor clad men who turn out, well, yeah, turn out to be human men. Um, and they mention basically that they're there to stop the key and glory and that they'll send as many people as they have to, no matter how many of them she kills. So a little bit shaken up about this, but also maybe with some new revelations, Um, Buffy goes to talk to the council and realizes that she doesn't have to do anything for them because she's the one with all the power. She's the slayer and they need her more than she needs them. If they want to stop glory and whatever apocalypse apocalyptic type thing is, is on the horizon, they need her. And she gives a very affecting speech to them to makes several demands of her own, including that they reinstate Giles as her watcher, that they give him back pay for the whole time he's been um, unemployed, and that also basically that they leave them alone other than giving them the information that they need. So, yeah, that's how she wins that argument. And then at the very end of the episode, Quentin reveals that the thing that they found out about Glory is that she's not just a demon. She is, in fact, a god. Poof. Yeah. Credits. Huh. So
1: so much, so much. In this <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah and i mean i i guess i just i have this like weird i get i just get really worked up about the council <laughs> they're really 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 a good metaphor i think for all institutional power you know anything it's like they're oppressive with s- systemic power and it's very, very frustrating to watch because it feels really analogous to a lot of real-world situations. Like, they are not at all unbelievable. If this, if Supernatural were real, this would 100% exist. Right? I don't know. Yeah. And I they're mean, just it's really frustrating to watch. And, the and certainly, very yeah.
1: same thing as, like, Buffy's the talent. Yeah. they're, like, the corporate people trying yeah. to pretend that they have sway over her, but, like, she's the only person who makes them relevant, so...
0: Yeah, I mean, or, like, any politician that is clinging to the last grasp of power as long as they can hold on to it, convincing the people that they need them when, in fact, they're the ones that get elected, or whatever. I don't know. I just, like, it, much like the X-Men, I feel like this is, like, a pretty constantly relevant metaphor, but really, really infuriating. So we don't necessarily have to start there. That was just the bit I have to get off my chest. I get really mad yeah. every time we start talking about the council. I'm like, Ugh. <laughs>
1: Where I want to start is actually with the end. So okay. with their big revelation that glory is a god. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and I think I've you've been wanting this to talk
0: about this forever.
1: <laughs> yeah. that for me, like this is it's sad because on one hand, like I, I love glory as a villain. Mm-hmm. I think she's, I mean, coming on the heels of the initiative could only be um, better. Uh, Yeah, it could only be better. But, like, in her own right, she is a great villain. She's funny. She has motivation. Mm -hmm. She's interesting. There's real stakes. Yeah, there's stakes. Like, it carries a story through. But, like, making her a god, I feel like, was the thing that took the show to, like, a different place that kind of makes it less grounded. Because, okay, it's grounded in the way that it's still normal people, well, supposedly normal, trying Mm -hmm. to, like, deal with these, like, extraordinary circumstances. But... Like, I don't know how much of the comics you've read.
0: None, almost. But Not I none, but like little. But I feel like
1: it's kind of one of those things where it opens this door where they really go off on yeah. it in the comics because they have the freedom to do that, obviously, right, in art that you can't really do on film. But in some ways it lessens the impact for me because part of the appeal of Buffy is she's just this normal girl. She's fighting these vampires, mm-hmm. and these metaphors for life. But, like, gods aren't really that Good at being used. Like, you can use circumstances with gods. I mean, look at mythology, okay? Right. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Gods can be used <laughs> to tell stories, but like, I just feel like it's not something about this isn't as effective for me. It's, so. it, it's interesting because I think
0: that you're not wrong. I think the way that I deal with it in my head is, and again, this is part of the reason why I don't, I, I haven't read the comics because like, I don't want other people's idea of what's canon to affect my idea of what's canon. And I, f- I feel like you're right. And they certainly in this episode play it for like, this is the biggest, baddest be all end all. But knowing the, like we have are the kind of way that it ends up playing out, I think in season six kind of is like, She is a god, which is to say that she's more powerful than anything that they faced up until this point, but she kind of just comes from another dimension. You know, like, when they talk about gods, it does also just kind of fall into this, like, well, Angel was in a hell dimension, Buffy ends up in some sort of dimension. Like, there's just other worlds. They already mentioned this, like, shrimp dimension, you know what I mean? So it's like, it, it is more off the deep end, But and they say god, and I do think that they intentionally play that up for effect, but dialing it back a little bit. I mean, I guess if you hate all the dimensions, I don't know, that's kind of always been part of Buffy. I, I guess I'm just saying that she's not as powerful as I feel like they make it sound, at least at this point, because it turns out to, it, she is very powerful and that is a thing that they have to deal with, but it also kind of just falls into the Buffy universe that already exists, which is like, yeah, she's a god, but there's a portal, <laughs> I
1: Right, guess. but that's, I think, what also bugs me about it is like it's this big buildup of like she's a god and it's like, okay, so you got in that direction, But in what way is she different from any of these other demons who had people encountered them hundreds of years ago, they would have thought they were gods, right? right? Yeah, yeah. No, I think you're right. That's what kind of, like, also ruins it for me. And also the fact that everyone who's historically dealt with her, the monks, the knights of Byzantium, Mm -hmm. they all refer to her as the beast. Right. So it's kind of like, okay, maybe she's considered a god because maybe people worshipped her and maybe she has slightly more power than other demons. But she still just seems like a really powerful demon from another dimension.
0: I think, if anything, that's actually the more interesting point for them to mine, is, like, how did this particular demon end up with the status of God in Earth, in our current Earth dimension? You yeah, know what I mean? Because you're right that, like, that are, like people... And her. they certainly... We've run into other demons that have worshippers, right? Like, there's been at least a handful of them that are, like, have followers. Even the Master kind of had his own, you know, ringleader ring quality. But, like, none of them have got quite elevated to this point, so it is interesting. I, and I, so, yeah, I guess what I'm saying is that I agree with you. I think, you know, there is also this part of it. that's like they say she's a god at the end of this episode and it's supposed to really land. But yeah, like so they kind of are writing things for a, f- a f- clearly like plot effect, not even plot. Right. But for like shock it's value like a, for like a, a quick they're trying to get the payoff of some they're trying to get payoff at the end of this episode but then it's not really going to make sense for the rest of the show.
1: (laughs) I didn't check the air date schedule, but if I had to guess, this was an episode that fell at the end of sweeps.
0: Yeah, probably. Um, 12 would be... Yeah, probably.
1: So the other thing, too, is that it's problematic about this. Oh, January.
0: January 23rd. Okay. I Hmm. guess that's later than I would have thought.
1: Is that they say that she's a god, but Glory very clearly has a weakness. Right. Like, we see her at the very beginning of this episode... In really bad shape. Mm -hmm. They're cutting it really close. She appears to feed off of this some sort of energy, energy, yeah. And she hasn't fed in a while, but like, it's unclear if that's because she's trapped in this mortal world. I think
0: that is she. I don't think that is unclear. She said as much. She said that a few episodes ago.
1: Okay, so like she's more
0: unstable in this dimension than she would be in her own. But it is interesting. I guess you're right. I guess it's just like a weird like. What makes a god a god is very circum- is very um, malleable. I guess just it's a perspective it, issue, that right? Yeah, god. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which is kind of a really interesting commentary. In I think,
1: and also what annoys me too, I think, coming out of this is like this is the kind of thing that they could have just said over the phone. Like, well, I f-
0: yeah, but they don't want to because they want to try no. and get power back. Right. I mean, that's I the mean, whole. I mean, obviously, yeah. there's
1: extenuating circumstances. I don't think like- that
0: that's inconsistent. If anything, I think that's the that's half the point of this episode is like the fact that they haven't just given it to them over the phone when they clearly could. It's because they're trying to intimidate them and prove that they're trying to get Buffy back under their thumb, and it doesn't work. But if they just gave her that information over the phone, I think these threats would be a lot less meaningful if they weren't there. The threats from the council, I mean. Yeah. So that doesn't bother me at all. It's funny though. Okay. The more you're talking about this, I know I know where your grievance comes from, which is also I think as you've talked about, like there is this feeling, especially in supernatural shows, where you just have to constantly one up yourself, and so it's like, how can they one up themselves after they face so many apocalypse? Apocalypse? Apocal, wait, what was? It? <laughs> where do we land on the plural of apocalypses? Apocalypses. Probably apocalypses. That's what. Yeah. Anyway, so I I agree with your general disagreement of this as like a as a device kind of in shows at all. But the uh, the more that we're trying to pick it apart, the more I'm, like, really interested in, like, what this says about gods, not
1: necessarily no, about religion, I, but,
0: like, this mythology now has become very fascinating to me. <laughs> like, wait, what does it is, make a god a god? And it is, but that's <laughs> the problem, is,
1: like, they're not exploring there any are. of this. It's just, like, we can just say she's a god, and that's supposed to, like, be, like, amazing, and wow, look what we did. We, like, upped the stakes. But yeah. like how does Glory become a... Like, I just feel like guess, it would make more sense to me if, like, there was more involved. Because, uh, like, the, they don't go to any sort of depth on it. It's only ever just, like, Buffy's fighting a really strong demon. Right.
0: They don't. I mean, and, and I think And really that what, they, she has
1: weapons that can fight her, like, eventually. What like, they really seems, mean, though,
0: is that she's a really powerful demon. So, like, yes, I... Uh, so, I'm with I'm with you mostly, but... I, I don't know. I, and I, I now that we've unpacked this a little bit, like it would have been really interesting for them to do more with that as like a theory, kind of. But I also feel like what wins me back is like, yes, this is kind of a silly contrivance that they've come up with to make us, the viewers, feel like she's more powerful than anything we've seen before. However they don't have time to get into the rest of that because the rest of the season deals with so many other really specific personal dynamics in the Buffy crew. And like, I really value where this leaves everybody else over the course of the next 12 episodes or 10 episodes. So yeah. So like, I agree with you, but I don't feel like they miss, they misuse it in the sense that it's silly, but the actual effect of glory and all the fallout of her and every, everything else that happens this season on the Scoobies, I think is really well plotted and used. So like it is annoying, but they also, don't waste it, per se. Yeah,
1: and I I think that you're right, and I want to reiterate that my biggest complaint about this whole mm-hmm. turn of the plot is that because I've read the comics, oh, I feel like yeah. this is the thing that gave them permission yeah. to
0: go in that direction, yeah. and
1: so like, I just see the roots of it here, and that yeah. annoys me. But like, you're absolutely right. Like, you could just not.
0: Read I mean, the comics, I just don't take it so. that way because it's annoying to take it that way, and I don't have to. <laughs> you know, I think mean, yeah. there's enough other things going on there with like a couple of explanations to myself which I just gave, I, eh, then I can get over it. But you're right. I guess actually what's also really interesting is that in, uh, as much as they're leaning on Gloria as something even more ext- supernatural and extraordinary than they've seen before, this is also the same season that gives us Joyce in the hospital with a brain tumor, which is like it also, I would say, the most kind of down-to-earth, some of the most down-to-earth drama specifically that the show has had. So it is kind of interesting, too, that they use this season to really they're hitting the highs really high and they're hitting the lows really low. You know what I mean?
1: No, I think you're right. It's an interesting contrast contrast between we have maybe some of the most out there battles that Buffy has to face and yet the most real deaths Mm -hmm. that she's going to come across. Ugh, deep.
0: Yeah. So (laughs) I agree with you. It's stupid to come up with this contrivance just so that at the end of episode 12 you can have this thing land and it sounds really dramatic. But I'm going to choose to move past it just because I like everything else that comes. If it made it really silly after this, I think I would be with you too and be like, why are they bringing gods into this? You know, if she turned out to be an Adam-type figure, then it would have been really frustrating, so at well, least they get the rest of it Do you like
1: right. everything that comes from this? Because how do you feel about the Knights of Byzantium? Oh, <laughs>
0: uh- <laughs> Yeah, I guess they're kind of silly. <laughs> You're right. Uh, I don't have any particular feeling about them because I keep forgetting about them. <laughs> Didn't remember their name when I was giving my summary. Every and, time you <laughs> say them, I have to kind of do a double take, and I'm like, oh, that's right. They're gonna keep being in this season, aren't they? Ugh, whatever.
1: I mean, yeah. And every time, like, when he when they like showed up at this, I literally went, yeah, like, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, like I guess other guys. than if we
0: were really gonna explore this, like, what makes a god god idea, they're not really that interesting. They're just a annoying thorn in the plot. <laughs>
1: Well, and I think because they showed up as a group of three, like, in my mind, mm. I forever confuse yeah, them with the it's three. True. So it's just like, okay, here's another group of three warriors come to kill the Slayer. And also, they never stop to ask her, like, hey, what do you think about this whole situation? It's just like, well, yeah. we shall kill you. Like, I
0: mean, I guess then there, there's their own version of the council, or at least these institutions that, like, don't stop once in a while to ask questions about what they're doing and why they're doing it. That's, like... I mean, I don't think it would have changed their minds, but yeah, maybe they could have had a conversation about it at least.
1: Also, can we just say it's 21st century at this point? I don't really believe they'd still be wearing chainmail. I mean, why not? What else would you wear? Kevlar? I, I, yeah, I mean, they for, probably can't
0: afford that, Allie. They have these armors that they've been using for, you could keep that for a thousand years. I guess. I guess. I have no idea how long armor lasts, but probably a pretty I think it would be time. cooler
1: if, like, a military SWAT unit showed <laughs> up and were like, we're the knights of Byzantium. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that would be really cool, but then it would just be confusing
0: with the initiative.
1: Well, that's because they already did the initiative. Exactly. They should
0: have saved that's it. another so that- reason they shouldn't have done the initiative. <laughs> Let's rewrite season four, scrap the initiative. We can redo, re-envision the Knights of Byzantium. Hey, you know what? A Maybe take. it's time
1: for a reboot. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, the worst. The worst. I don't know. Where
1: Where do we go next? I mean... I want to talk a little bit about Buffy's choice to um, bring her mom and Dawn to Spike. Okay. I do, too. Because it's funny, first well, of all. It has all, but a lot also, of... yeah.
0: Lingering I think it's, consequences.
1: I think it's where Buffy... I mean, she's not... Okay, Buffy's not the most self-aware person, so she's probably not aware that she's doing right. this, but she does have this tendency to, like, use... It's much like her relationship with Riley at the end, where she uses him when she wants him That's and pushes very, him away when very she doesn't true. need him. And this is a case of, like, she's literally just had this argument with him in the graveyard mm-hmm. where he comes and kills the vampire, and she's like, why are you here? I don't need you. But then, like... Not five minutes later, yeah. she's marching her mom and sister into his lair and saying, Hey, please do me this, like, pretty huge favor. favor. Yeah. And it's interesting, too,
0: because had he not recently realized he was in love with her, he probably would have said no, right? Or, I mean, there's Maybe. a potential that he would have. I guess he I don't had know. He I is feel like a real Spike softie. A soft spot. Yeah, punches. you're right. And Dawn. But it is interesting. I mean, you're definitely right. I think there's also, though, I, I do think that it, illogical, though, it may be he is a a valid choice in this situation. I think he's the only, he he is the only choice. There is nobody else as nearly as strong as Buffy. He's the closest one. Angel's not there anymore. And Riley's gone. So yeah, I mean, the, the rest of the Scoobies have to be at this other thing, but even if they were available, I still think spike is a reasonable choice. So like, it is kind of stupid, but it's also like, I mean, who else is, who else could even at all stand up to anything?
1: Right. And also, but like, who's going to look for them there? That's a good point, too. They're in a graveyard. Who's going to think, oh, the Slayer hid her mom and sister in a crypt with a vampire.
0: (laughs) Even the crypt alone is a pretty decent disguise. But like with. Yeah. Um, But yeah, no, I think. I I think that there is it also does just kind of reveal something about Buffy's feelings towards I think Buffy won't ever admit that she's softened up to Spike as well, but she clearly has.
1: Even I mean, if it's she's just not they're in alla- love with him. No, but no, but she definitely views him as a helpful member of the team. I think she'll
0: never. She won't even say that much out loud. You know what I mean, though, for a really long yeah. time. Like that, she clearly values and uses him and his skills and his dedication, but won't ever admit it. Or at least at this, you know, right now she's not going to admit it. And I, I don't know. I just am trying to say that there is something there, despite her protests. Obviously, she feels something for him, even if it's just a t- version of trust. I want to talk about Giles. In this episode, oh too. sorry,
1: I had one oh. more thing about the um, Spike, about Spike and about the thesis taking care of oh. Joyce and Dawn, and oh. it's just to note that oh, Spike yeah. is still watching Passion,
0: and that he and Joyce bond over it in this episode. Yeah,
1: and I, I one of the Joyce, greatest scenes. Like yeah. started watching it in the hospital or something.
0: I think Joyce has <laughs> probably just always watched soap operas.
1: I think she's but just how? Like, how she damn, has a job.
0: She's always home at weird hours. Sometimes her job is like logging things in her upstairs room.
1: Yeah. I also really loved the um, the Watcher telling Spike yes. that she wrote her, her thesis, thesis about him.
0: <laughs> I know. Uh, that was, such a, that was just like a, such a funny throwaway thing. Oh, also, actually, even in the scene where Buffy goes to ask Spike to do this, I think, again, like not that Buffy's intentionally being manipulative, but she does know what to say to Spike to get him to agree. And part of those things is, like, you're the strongest one. When she says that to him, it's also, like, he really that's the exact stroke to his ego that he needs to agree to this. You know what I mean?
1: If yeah, he were he needs if he to know that he's being picked because he's the most special. Yep,
0: yep. And specifically the most strong, I think is something that he feels really, you know, grossly good about.
1: Or like if you were like you're the only one I trust. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: You're the only one who's strong enough. Yeah. No, I don't know. I thought that was very interesting. Okay, so can we talk about Giles? Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, because I actually
0: this I think this is my bigger gripe. (laughs) My biggest gripe about this episode is that so the Watchers Council comes uh, to the magic shop and immediately starts picking apart all the things that Giles is doing wrong. But some of the things that Giles is doing wrong is putting incredibly dangerous artifacts for sale on a shelf where anybody can reach them. And that just feels kind of in the way that like I feel like I explained it away with Willow In the last episode of like, why did Willow all of a sudden become the rule breaker? But like maybe Willow did. But Giles being undiligent and not knowing about magic is really I just don't believe that. I don't believe that he is. How would Giles after all of this not know? I guess that's kind of been a theme with him, but it's just a weird one that I don't really buy.
1: Well, I wasn't sure if it, the idea was supposed to be that he had these artifacts out because he didn't really think they were that dangerous or if he didn't recognize them. He said he
0: didn't recognize them in at least one of the instances. They had to like, oh, if you touch this the wrong way, it explodes. And he was kind of like, oh, I don't know. I just think that's kind of a silly thing. But that said, I like the rest of Giles in this episode. I think it is a really interesting, like, again, like a reflection that <sighs> I couldn't think of what the right exact description is, but basically that feeling of, like, you know, Giles spent so long in the Watcher's Council Mm -hmm. that even though he hasn't been a part of it for a couple years, as soon as they're there, he falls back into that old dynamic. You know, it's like when you go back home and you, like, pick fights with your sister because your parents are there, and it's just like, oh, why am I doing this? Like, I don't know. But because he's just,
1: like, a little bit more snarky.
0: He's more snarky, but he is really more intimidated than Buffy ever is in this entire episode. Like, he really does feel like... You can just see his insecurity coming back that he hasn't trained the slayer properly properly and I, it's not that I think he like regrets it but he I just feel like you could really feel that like oh it's hard to fall into old dynamics again and just be like oh even though I know I made the right choice and I've left and I've done the right thing it's really hard to have them point out all my flaws again in this way that used to really make me feel insecure I don't know but yeah, I thought that and was like well he's not depicted. like
1: I don't I don't think he's wrong to not try to teach Buffy Japanese right right words because why like, how is that and also yeah like, it's this a waste of a, time I think a great visual example between what the council thinks the slayer does and yeah. what the slayer actually does right like, right she's never going to be fighting a vampire and having giles calling out commands in japanese like right. that's never <laughs> going to be a way to win a fight yeah yeah how did
0: they even get along this far i guess just because the slayers are so powerful that and they Maybe have an endless supply of the them. slayers
1: die so frequently yeah exactly
0: because they're really point.
1: terrible at this Well, or
0: again, as we've also touched on, like, are they terrible at this or are they great at doing it in a way that keeps them in the top position? I mean, as long as the players never live more than a year or two, they're never going to be able to get the upper hand on them the way that Buffy has, because they won't have enough time to grapple with everything, come to terms and then turn it back on the council. Like, that's just
1: that's a good point. They
0: are kind of built in systems to hold her down, like in the real world. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Do you want to head that way now? Um. Yeah, I guess I feel like I already kind of said my piece, but there's probably more to talk about. Um, Well, I guess the part where Buffy stands up to them.
1: (laughs) So this is probably one of... It might be my favorite scene of the entire show. It's a really,
0: really good scene.
1: It's so satisfying. Like, I love that everybody gives her, like, a little cheer when she's done. But it just... So perfectly encapsulates everything like Buffy is a woman and it's clearly yeah. in this situation yeah. about her being a woman standing up to these and it's a mixed group of people. There's like two women but yeah. standing up to these like overlords mm-hmm. who have come back and they've done a really good job of posturing like they have all this power. Right. But Buffy starts to realize through her interaction with Glory that she does have power. Like, Glory mm-hmm. doesn't kill her because Buffy has the key. And yeah. the Slayer, or the Watchers have come back because Buffy She's has the, the power to yeah. make them relevant. And yeah. so they've, they've literally come here, tried to break her down and convince her that she needs their help. Yeah. But Buffy comes to realize that she doesn't, and she sees, you know, the whole plan all along, like, what they're coming to do. And I love the way it happens where... Me too. We also get a man trying to interrupt oh. and explain <laughs> and she that she's actually s- mis- misinformed. And she's mm-hmm. like, excuse me, I said no interruptions. And I love throws that. a sword at him. <laughs> but I also love her point. It's true. Yeah. Like, it's all about power. I have it. They want it. Like, Buffy firing the council made them irrelevant. They've been sitting in London or wherever, mm-hmm. is, you know, some stuffy room in England, like, with nothing to do. Because yeah. they have no communication mm-hmm. to their you know, main weapon in this battle. Giles has, like, been doing all of this all along unpaid and, Mm -hmm. like, then they come in and try to tell them how they're doing it wrong and it's, like, I I have to think in some way that was kind of, like, um, the show people being, like, hey, corporate, this is what happens when you come in and try to tell us how to write our show. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Well, I mean,
0: yeah, exactly.
1: But it's so satisfying. It really is. Also that she points out the attributes of everybody on the team. Like, she's Buffy does have a tendency to be a little bit selfish, but right. like she needs to be. But also, like she's recognizing everybody's contributions it's here. True. Like Tara and Willow have their witchy powers, mm-hmm. and Anya has knowledge that you would only gain from being a thousand year old demon. Mm-hmm. And Xander, most of all, has just clocked in the time. Yeah, like, yeah, like they keep trying to dismiss Xander as, like, oh, you don't have anything to show for this, you haven't mastered any skills, like, how are you helpful? And, like, he's helpful because he's on the ground instead of in an office. Yeah, exactly, he's doing something. (laughs) Yeah, he staked more vampires than any of those people, so... Yeah,
0: it's it's true. It's just
1: a great scene, and I just... And I I think that you're really right to
0: say... I mean, really, what this scene brings is a really, like, a high level of catharsis. That's, like, as I said, like, the Watchers really feel like... I. I'm not going to for a lot of reasons, mostly because I know I'm going to end up somehow making myself sound stupider. But like the council is a really good symbol or I mean, stand in and metaphor for lots of things that exist either in the current day and have existed throughout history. And it's so it feels to me, especially in 2018, like so rare that the people really do get to stand up to these systemic overlords and it's just, it's so frustrating that, like, it's frustrating that it doesn't really happen the way I want to in the real world, and so it is the ultimate thing in fiction when you get to see something that you never get to see in the real world play out exactly how you wish it always would, in this way that you know it could if everything just came together, but, like, you know it's more complicated in the real world, but it's not more complicated on Buffy, and so I get to watch this scene, and it gets to be great, and I get to feel satisfied for, like, a, a few minutes that, like, maybe someday, or in these small ways, people can do this thing, and it just feels really, really good.
1: It does. Ugh. I and
0: I mean, Buffy is just so cool about it. She delivers her speech. She's not, you know what I mean? Like, not to say that she shouldn't get emotional, but like she just s- delivers it in this is like really perfect way. And like you said, like when she tells that guy not to interrupt her, it's like cool and not deadpan, but like, I, you know, she's just so metered that it makes him feel like the one who's gone crazy in this way that people are always doing to her. Maybe. I don't know. I just really. Yeah. That one I may be misinterpreting. <laughs> Maybe I'm putting my own issues onto this scene. But regardless, it's just
1: like it just feels really good. And I love that Quentin immediately gets it. Like he's he like. Does. Yeah. Okay, he knows that he you, lost. This yeah. is not gonna work. Like, cool. Um, but I also I think one thing that I find really interesting is that Buffy comes to these realizations from glory. It's true. And I think it's not... I mean, if Glory knew that she had inspired the Slayer to stand up for herself, that was not obviously her intention. I mean, because that scene where Glory is in the house is legitimately scary. It is, yeah. I do think that it's interesting that Buffy's finding power in a situation or learning that she has power from a situation where she must have felt helpless. Like, she knows she's not going to best Glory in a fight. She also knows she has to protect herself and Dawn. Mm -hmm. And then her mom is home as well. Like... But that's not a a fight Buffy would win. Like, she had to feel as powerless as she could feel, and yet it's a situation that had her realize her own power? I mean, it's really cool. Yeah, it is really
0: cool. (laughs) And also, everything that you're saying is just, again, underscoring why Glory is really effective as a villain. Because she and Buffy are bringing things out in one another that are interesting and, like, really fun to watch, you know? It's not interesting when your villain is just mushed twirling or doing anything that's, like, inexplicable, but that they, like, now kind of have this weird bond with one another, or at least Buffy is gonna, I you know, I think, maybe not bond, but it's like, you're right, that Buffy has gotten something out of this encounter with Glory, and it's just gonna make it all that much more... I don't know, interesting of a plot and interesting of a relationship between them as their adversaries, as adversaries. Yeah. It's a lot more interesting when the Joker is bringing things out in Batman and vice versa, right, than when he's just squashing someone left and right, because
1: that's just not nearly as satisfying. Do you know what I always wondered if, like, what would happen if Glory had just killed Dawn in that scene? Yeah. Like, she would have inadvertently ruined any of her chances of going back and... I mean, obviously the show's not going to make it that easy, but yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I always I always think like, huh, wow, that could have gone a whole different direction. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, yeah. Well, I mean, and just speaking of Don, just because it's relevant, you know, there are she's definitely, again, as people are just being stupid and talking about her in the house where she lives. You know, Don is continuing to kind of overhear things about herself. So that's just setting, you know, plot setting for the next episode. But it is relevant that she's. Mm-hmm. just con- kind of continuing to like get this sense ar- around her
1: there were a couple um continuity things that i want to point out just because i thought it was well done mm-hmm. like instead of continuity errors it was yeah. good so they're continuing to reference obviously riley
0: yes oh my god and i love that line too yeah i which one when Buffy's giving her speech and she says that Riley, I'm sorry, oh. that, uh, she says, oh, Xander's clocked more field time than any of you and he's part of the unit and uh, Willow buff- whispers to Xander, oh, that's Riley speak. And I think that that's a really nice moment too where we get to see that like, yeah, things might have gone sour and whatnot, but they did have a, relationship that was meaningful and riley impacted her life
1: yeah she learned from him yeah also i thought you meant the one where spike was like she can't keep a man it gets her all down <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: that's right i did forget about spike's, spike's little revelations or his opinion um, on the situation
1: but also that xander had a cast because oh yeah. broke his arm yeah yeah true so i i didn't know if that was maybe the actor had a cast or like but i thought it no was like, no i
0: think it was because of the yeah. episode yeah
1: I don't know, I, like, appreciate when they do that. Like, yeah. that time isn't just skipping around, you know. Mm-hmm. Things have consequences from week to week.
0: Yeah. So. I also meant to say this when we were talking about the Watcher's Council, but, again, they do, when they're giving their kind of explanation, when the Watcher, uh, when Quentin is talking, he's very clear to say that the Slayer is an instrument. And I think that was all, you know, we know that that's how they think about the Slayers, but it's great. It's, it's, um impactful to hear him just say it out loud that like they don't even think about them as people
1: to bluntly state that <laughs> to she's bluntly just say a it to her face to them yeah 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 well um, mm-hmm. that's i mean we know that that's true that's that's where giles got in trouble was viewing her as more than just a weapon yeah okay should anyway. we talk about blood money yeah all right so We are continuing with everyone being fired, so Mm -hmm. um, Gunn and Wesley and Cordelia are kind of just hanging out in her apartment, waiting for visions and things to do. Playing risk. Playing risk, (laughs) yes. Um, Arguing over what the name of their agency is going to be, all of Mm this. Um, Cordelia does have a vision. Wesley and Gunn get really fired up because they successfully go and... I didn't mean to pun there, but they successfully (laughs) go and defeat a two-headed demon that breathes fire. And so they're continuing to try to figure out their path forward now that Angel has fired them. Angel has continued to go down this dark, twisty path of his where he is now directly seeking out ways to tangle with Wolfram and Hart. Um, We meet our old friend, Chanterelle. I mm-hmm. know she goes by Anne, but I'm going to call calling her Chanterelle. Chanterelle. Too. <laughs> and she's now running a center for at-risk youth in L.A., and Angel's, turns out he's been tracking her because one of her benefactors is Wolfram and Hart. So mm-hmm. Angel's using her and her center to try to stick it to Lila and Lindsay. And the way that he does this is um, they're holding a charity ball, and he plants the idea in their heads that he's aware that they're planning to take the money from this ball and steal most of it and only give the center a little bit, which perfectly in line with Wolfram and Hart. Mm-hmm. And so Lindsay and Lila go off on a tailspin of wondering, like, what, what the proof is, how does he have it, or how are we going to be punished by our mm-hmm. overlords, you know, all of this. Um, but meanwhile, Angel is trying to get to know Anne and convince her that Wolfram and Hart are the bad guys. Meanwhile, this Wild West demon shows up and <laughs> finds out from Merle like where Angel would be, you know, ends up working with Wolfram and Hart to try to take down Angel because he says he's trying to settle a score from the 1920s in Mexico. Mm-hmm. And um, turns out though this is all a setup. Angel reached out to this guy, had him approach Wolfram and Hart. And they're working together to try Mm -hmm. to take down the lawyers. And in the end, Lindsay and Lila basically get humiliated in public, although there is no real proof for what they were doing. Mm -hmm. Angel just wanted to, like, publicly show that they were worried about something. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And then Anne gets all the money from the charity ball. Mm -hmm. And Angel kind of... I don't know if he comes to any conclusions about being good or bad, but he's just basically continuing his, I'm going to. Take down the people. Continues
0: to, to piss me, me off.
1: Yeah, <laughs> he gave away all of Cordelia's clothes. <laughs>
0: he gave away Cordelia's clothes. I mean, and I have some things to say about his interactions with Anne, especially at the end. But yeah. um That said, I mean, I this was an episode that I enjoyed a lot more than the last few, and yeah. I think there are some obvious reasons why. <laughs> mm-hmm. Several people and storylines were not involved in this episode, and this was one of the more ensembley ones that we've had in a while. So I think. I mean, those are my main things. It's like no Kate, no Darla, no even whisper of Darla for once. Yeah. But um, also, it despite now that they're apart, we got a little bit more of the rest of Angel Investigations. You know, we got to see Cordelia and Gunn and Wesley all bonding, which is just always heartwarming and amazing. And then we got to see Lindsay and Lila continuing to kind of be in, you know, uh, be adversarial, but also having to work together. And it's just very satisfying.
1: Oh, I forgot to mention that we also find out why Wolfram and Hart is oh, so interested course. in Angel which is because right. all the prophecies that seem to be coming true also state that Angel is going to be a major player in the apocalypse but right. they're fuzzy on which side he's going to fall so they're trying yeah. to see if they could sway Angel to their side
0: and that's also why they don't want to just kill him because yes. if he is on their side he'll be much more powerful you know or could yes. be very powerful um ally yeah, I don't know. So, I guess, can we talk about Chanterelle? Yes. <laughs> Which but is also
1: creepy. Angel is spying on Buffy's friend. It's so... Uh...
0: Yeah. Also, did they never meet? They, You know, it's so funny because I just kept waiting for her to call him out, and I thought she would have recognized him, but I guess they didn't. I meant to he go back the other... and watch <laughs> that
1: scene, but I didn't. Me did too. <laughs> uh,
0: I mean, nothing that I quickly saw on the internet said, like, they were definitely in that scene together, so I don't think so.
1: I mean, they were in the same room at one point. Yeah, but I don't remember who Angel interacted with.
0: At that he point. definitely interacted with the dorky guy because he yeah. was like, we don't dress like that. And then somebody walked by dressed like him.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: but I don't know if she was in that scene. I think she would have remembered, but maybe not. I guess it's conceivable either way.
1: I mean, she remembered Buffy, but Buffy's they met the one more than once. And, them, and that was so, also yeah, yeah. bigger. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I mean,
0: I liked her right off the gate. I guess I just like that actress. I feel like she really played, I guess in the ways that like some of these other like dark, the, all the other blonde actresses have really like irked me in some of their mannerisms. I think Chanterelle's are really endearing. She really has that the right line of like, especially since we've, we've only seen her in like three episodes. And I already feel like I totally understand her growth as a human, which is like she was really had come yes. from dark places, was really, really vulnerable, has finally we saw her get help for find some sense of empowerment with Buffy in season three of Buffy. And now watching the like consequences of that, where she's like still has this real sense of empathy and vulnerability to herself, but has taken charge of this like whole other organization. It's just like, it's just so cool. Like she's just the coolest.
1: Yeah. She's really had this like upward trajectory that is fun to watch, but also like, she has more depth and shading than a lot of the regular characters.
0: <laughs> it's true. Yeah. I know and understand her story way better than I do Kate's.
1: Like I've been yeah. in like ten
0: episodes. <laughs>
1: right. <laughs> like, or like Lila. Like Yeah, yeah. What is Lila's motivation? I don't right, get it. Right. <laughs> and,
0: and I this guess this is it's not also...
1: the last time we'll see her.
0: No, and I'm I'm excited because I don't remember I don't really remember how her stuff plays out. But at least for now, I think this will continue to be true. She is kind of one of the only people that gets a genuinely positive arc. You know, there's not, I don't think there are going to be a bunch, maybe I'm wrong, but at least in this instance, it's not complicated. I mean, they try and shade it gray a little bit with the money incident, but like she is an un, undeniably good person who is yeah. using all of her time and effort to make good things happen for other people. And like, there's not and that that's it. And I think that that's as much as I, you know, obviously can't build a whole story, a whole series around that. I like that they let her kind of get this kind of happy ending even if it's still certainly fraught with you know who knows what kind of teenagers and terrible situations but Yeah
1: and I also love how she kind of is useful in exposing again how Wolfram and Hart doesn't really seem to be that good at research because Yeah like I think we talked about this when Faith came like there were a lot of holes that they didn't really notice in like the story mm-hmm. of like how Angel and Faith might have interacted before and like you know Lindsay just casually brings Boone into the center like, he clearly looks crazy, like, demonic, and he yeah. doesn't say anything to her. I know. And it's, like, I don't so know you're if he just was hoping to, like, scare her or what, but it's, like, right. she doesn't even blink because, like, she's already been through, like, a vampire yeah. cult and a hell dimension. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. like, she's fine. <laughs>
0: but he did, had no way of knowing that.
1: or rather, But that's what I mean. Like, yeah, that's the kind of, of thing that, like, I don't know how that would have shown up in, like, a file or something, but Wolfram and Hart seems to find out some pretty um, – personal stuff otherwise so like you know Mm. they don't have any files on like hey remember the one time that guy was running that hell dimension with runaway youths downtown Right, right. Yeah. yeah I guess they weren't aware of that I don't know yeah
0: but I don't know so yeah I really enjoyed her I think she's the perfect kind of side character that they have not nailed so far so a plus like her can't wait to see her again as I said I don't remember the way that she I don't remember the rest of the episodes that she's in. I just know that she's in at least another one or two.
1: I think like one, but like, why couldn't she be more of a recurring character? I than know like she's Kate.
0: the, exactly. She's the Kate we never got, <sighs> or I guess we got her, but
1: <laughs> we des- she's the Kate we deserve.
0: Yes. Thank you. <laughs>
1: um,
0: <laughs> speaking of other side characters though, they also bring back Merle. Now he's yes, been there a few, a few I'm times. over Merle. I'm over Merle, except to say that he is exactly like Doyle. <laughs> And Angel is a jerk for treating them so differently for no apparent reason.
1: Yeah, it's He's true. He's just as scuzzy
0: as Doyle was. He just didn't he doesn't look human. So I don't know. I, I think they're again, all showing their biases against him. Moral isn't doing anything worse than anyone else.
1: Again, I think well, a lot of Angel's true, like antagonism towards Moral comes from the fact that he like set him up honest, to be killed weird. by a Swami. True, a fake Swami. True. So, that's true. like, I think you're right. I do forget. He about was that. nicer to Moral before Moral like double crossed him. That's a good point. Yeah. But you're right. I mean, there is a bit of like a bias that he has, but I, I do think that in this case it's personal. Um, yeah. <laughs> also, like, Angel shamed Merle for his beanbag chairs, but I, I know. Okay, oh, my- I have to admit, we have these breakout rooms at work, and one of them has beanbag chairs, and I love them. Okay. It's the most comfortable place in my office to sit. But-
0: also, like, no, literally in this whole episode, everybody uses Merle and nobody pays him. So, like, I don't know where you think he's going to get this money, Angel, but he, you didn't give him the $100 that you promised him. So, screw you. If you really want him to get a nicer chair, like, pay him.
1: I know, Merle does kind of have a bad episode. <laughs> he does. First Angel, <laughs> and then I, Boone, then Wolfram and Hart. <laughs> yeah. And none of them can even just
0: scrounge up 50 bucks. Yeah. He is doing a service. Yeah. Okay. I guess I, I do have some nitpicks about the actual kind of plot of the, um, charity ball. Okay. Because that, I don't know. (sighs) I just don't think the math really works out, nor do the motivations because what really would have made more sense to me. So I guess what I'm trying to say. So it turns out that yes, Wolfram and Hart are throwing this charity ball for the teen, um, charity house that came out really poorly, but, um, an angel reveals that like, Oh, but they're going to skim, $2 $2 million from you in order to do this. But it just makes more sense to me that Wolfram and Hart, they are a really terrible law firm, but they still need good PR. Like, I just don't understand why they wouldn't just be doing this for the PR or be doing this for the PR and using the either attention or the energy either as like a deflection so that they could be doing something evil in the background or as a source of power for some sort of spell that they need. Like, it just didn't. not $2 million just seem like a weird motive. It doesn't seem big enough sum of money to be worth all of this effort because presumably they're spending like several hundred thousand dollars to even put this thing on in the first place. You know what I mean? It's like, why wouldn't they just give the charity a hundred thousand dollars and call it a day?
1: Well, yeah. I don't know. I, don't I just not see
0: them going through all this ringer for a couple million dollars because that just seems a little bit like small potatoes to them.
1: It is, but I think it's one of those things where like Lila and Lindsay are clearly working outside the jurisdiction of like their boss and yeah I think they're trying to deliver good PR to the firm and get you know kudos for that but Paid then they've also identified a mark they think is an e- like a dumb easy mark yeah to like, they throw her some money she's eternally grateful nobody's asking questions they've also filled two million dollars in the coffers like you know I'm assuming Wolfram and Hart's Operations are pretty expensive. Like I don't know what demonic raising costs, yeah. but like <laughs> that's true. I'm sure like they're always happy to have their lawyers deliver money from just anywhere. And I think it also I mean, just speaks to like that's just what they do. Is like you know you just rob people. I don't know. Yeah, I mean I, I guess do I didn't buy that, like, find that that questionable.
0: I guess there was, there was just a part where they like started talking about it, and I was like, "Why would they even bother?" I don't know. There, I still I'm not totally convinced. Though, I guess my other explanation is like I do also, yeah. I mean, I do believe that corporations are kind of doing this sort of penny pinching, even when it seems unnecessary for their margins. But I don't know.
1: Yeah, there were a couple of the nitpicks that I had about the whole Lindsay and Lila storyline, mostly mm-hmm. where Angel confronts Lila in the car, and uh-huh. um. I just have this like pet peeve of like people on TV always adjust their mirrors when they get in the car, but like, yeah. wouldn't it be in the exact same spot where you left it if um, it's yeah, your only car? only someone else is
0: driving your car.
1: Yeah, like that's that was kind of like it's clearly just so that they can do the fake out with Angel. Yeah, which is super annoying. It's but true. the other thing that I really liked was, or I guess not the other thing, the the, yeah, the one the thing, thing I did liked. really like <laughs> is in that last scene where Lindsay and Lila are getting kind of chewed out by their boss and. Mm-hmm. There's that moment where Lindsay's kind of, like, not being as, like, acquiescent, I guess. And mm-hmm. Lila physically oh, and distances like, herself from him. Like, she literally steps away from him when he yeah. starts questioning things. And I yeah. just thought that was, like, a really great acting choice. Like, yeah. she, because she, and it's really subtle. It's just, like, all of a sudden she's just like, I'm not with him.
0: <laughs> yeah. I also like the boss's reaction to that, which was, like, he just waited a minute and then he was like, I'm sorry, what? did you, Or rather, he just kind of proceeded. Yeah. Like, did you, did I hear something? And then you just kept going. I was like, that was yeah. a really petty way to move along yeah. from that.
1: Also, maybe um, Lila should ask Cordelia how to hex her car against Angel.
0: Because mm, <laughs> Cordelia knows
1: how to do that. <laughs>
0: that's very true.
1: Yeah. I, um, I didn't like Angel humiliating his friends, though. Like, he used those videos to, like... That's true. Get at Lila and Lindsay. And it's really mean. Like, those are really embarrassing things for Lindsay, for Wesley and Cordelia.
0: Yeah. Rude. And nowadays would be the sort of thing that would, like, go viral. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, I guess this is before smartphones, at least. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I... I'm, my actual biggest gripe with Angel is the way that he acts towards um, Anne and... Slash Chanterelle in this episode, specifically at the end. Because... You know, now that you we've you've kind of pointed it out, is this like this is another example of him making decisions for somebody else and just enforcing them. You know, he gives her this whole I, I appreciate that he explains to her who Wolfram and is and what taking that money might mean. And he does kind of say it like, is that really the kind of money that you want? And she makes the decision and her decision is, yes, I want it anyway. Yeah. And like, I think that that is valid or at least it's her choice. And he, somebody who has only been stalking her for like a week, has no bearing on that decision. I don't think. He he should hold no sway over her. And so then at the end of it, she doesn't, you know, Boone takes away the money, and then Chanterelle is like, How how could you do this now? We've gone through this whole rigmarole. I didn't really embarrass the law firm. And you know, she risks herself. Her charity and doesn't get money out of it at the end. And so she slaps Angel, which is well deserved. And then he just gives her some spiel about how, well, you, I, I know you said you wanted it, but I know better that you really didn't want that. And that's his explanation, which is really infuriating. But even more infuriating is that at the end of the episode, he gives it back to her anyway. And yeah. I'm like, Angel, none of this was your choice in the first place. And you're yourself not even being consistent with your own supposed values, or at least the values that you're imposing on others. I was just so mad at him. No, the real answer is why does he want that money
1: unless it comes from him. Like, that's his whole take on it is like, you don't want that money, it's blood money. And then he literally brings her money with blood on it. Blood on it, yeah.
0: It's it's not not somehow cleaner now that you've stolen it from the thieves, Angel. It's
1: still the same thing. I don't know if this is something that's going to continue to bug me throughout the run of the show and it's something that I I didn't notice a lot the first time around, much like, you know, the sexual harassment of Cordelia by Doyle, things like that. I mean, we're watching it through a 2018 lens now, but like, yeah. Angel really has a habit of taking. He is
0: very. Like, agency um, away from female yeah. characters. He does. And it's really, really annoying. I, it has only so far really been in this season where since he's hit this whatever dark period he's in.
1: I don't know. So, like, like, I'm trying I to get I... back to, like, his first interaction with Buffy, and it was kind of the same thing. Like, he was like, well. I'm going to give you just enough information that almost helps you, true. but, like, I'm going to, like, guide you to do this one thing that. I think you should I could do and just not explained. tell you anything. And
0: yeah, that's true. Yeah, very true.
1: I mean, you're right. He's worse now, but yeah, I don't know. I feel like this is a pattern with him. Ugh. And I think it's playing yeah, like they're I trying to it play very, it as like rescuer and hero. But like, that's the annoying thing about heroes is they don't always listen to what you want.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, and I appreciate again that like at least Chanterelle slaps him. Yeah. She's not. This is why she's awesome. It is because, and because at the end she still takes it despite having gone through all this and angels insisting that she doesn't really want that money. She really wants that money. Yeah. <laughs> and it's also like, I get it to some extent. I, I think his point is well made and like, you shouldn't continue to do business with Wilferman Hart because they're doing terrible things in order to get this to you. And I think that that's well made. But by the end of this episode, that money exists. She can't easily give it back to anybody. You know, I don't know. Well, she I, like, says I'm she has her. a way you to hide it, it,
1: but I mean, I, that $2 million is a lot of money to launder. And she literally has to launder it. Like It's, it's true.
0: It's, <laughs> I get really <laughs> overboard with the metaphors at the end. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's like she can't just go back and give all that money back to the people at the charity ball. And at least this money, it, Wolfram Heart Hart itself might be dirty, but that money was genuinely raised for her. So I guess actually now that I'm thinking about it, she totally deserves that. And it is not nearly as dirty as Angel is making it sound. This specific money. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Except...
1: Like literally, how he poured Boone, Boone's blood all over it, but you
0: know, <laughs> right? Also, well, I don't, I don't understand I didn't how the blood him. got
1: all over the money. Like, well, because they were they were fighting over it. Boone threw it between them,
0: and then they got into a fight.
1: Well, put the money out of the way.
0: But he a couple, a little bit of it had like flung out yeah. of the, yeah. Um, I did really like Boone, though. Even before I remembered mm-hmm. that they were in cahoots together, and he kind of showed up at first. I was like, ugh, why are we throwing another storyline into this? But then when he started talking, I was like, you're just pretty delightful, and I really liked him going into Lila and. Um, Lindsay's office and just being like, "You're gonna. This is what's gonna happen." And blah blah blah. I don't know. His mannerisms were very no. Uh, charming I thought he was a great demon
1: of the week, but also, yeah. Did you notice that because he was speaking in like that twang, that Lindsey Southern accent, like really came <laughs> no,
0: out? No, I didn't hear that. I was like,
1: oh, that Christian Kane was like, oh, my people. <laughs> I don't know if he's yeah. really Southern, but like, it seems like he is. And like I think he in might that be, scene yeah. where he was talking to Anne after Boone had come in, I was like, whoa. <laughs> It's really twanging. (laughs) That's funny.
0: But Uh, yeah. yeah. So overall, a pretty decent episode. Mm -hmm. Angel is very, very annoying, but everyone else is great. Oh, and we didn't really cover this much, but I really liked the Gunn and Wesley and Cordelia storyline. Like them sitting on her couch and just talking about all they had done and being really proud of themselves, but also admitting that they were scared was just like, and also, do you remember when they first met? Like they didn't like each other at all.
1: Yeah. And it was so sweet. They've come so far. They really have. Gun has friends now. Gunn has friends. That don't rely on him to like Yeah. I was like, he did sort of know. have friends, but Well, they were more of like a squad. Like yeah. A vampire battling squad. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, um, let's see, next time we've got Blood Ties. Blood ties. <laughs>
0: uh-huh.
1: <laughs> and um, what's next on Angel?
0: An episode called Happy Anniversary, which I don't remember. Oh,
1: I bet this is a Darla one.
0: Mm. I won't look. Yeah.
1: Blood ties though. We know is going to be a big one. Yeah,
0: I'm excited. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Not the one we just watched that we just talked about, (laughs) but
0: the Buffy one, the Buffy episode (laughs) called blood ties. Yes.
1: You said you had some pop culture this week. I just have a lot
0: of, uh, Halloweeny things Mm. to start talking about. Um, I was going to just give one recommendation and save the other one for next week. But honestly, like this is a limited time. Everybody's only got a a month and a half to get all the Halloween in that they can. So I'll just get Mm. them all out there. Um, I, not for the first time, but I watched The Shining this week. Yeah. It had been and it had been a while since I've seen it, yeah. and it's totally worth watching yeah. and revisiting. It's not I. I am not the like Stanley Kubrick is a wonderful, is the the ultimate genius in at least I guess that's really only have seen The Shining. I just mean to say I did find flaws in it, but it's still. A pretty masterful, suspenseful horror film. Like, I was surprised. This was the scariest it's ever felt to me, I guess, is what I'm saying. Like, the first couple times that I saw, it, I mean, it's definitely freaky and there's like some particularly jarring scenes, but like it didn't necessarily stay with me the way that it kind of did this time. And I just really appreciated the way that he, the way that that movie is very tense and scary in unexpected ways, in addition to the kind of normal on the face ways. So totally worth watching if you haven't seen it before, or even if you've seen it, maybe this is the right time to revisit it. No, nope, um, never again. Well, I also finally started reading it and then the morning after um, I watched it. So I'm excited, but I'm not far at all yet. So, but I'm gonna excited to read it because I've never read a Stephen King novel and I've never really even read a horror novel because I've been a scaredy pants about it. So I'm interested to see how it goes. I mentioned that last week, but I've now actually started it. Um, The other thing that I was watching last night was with uh, one of my friends introduced me to (laughs) this BuzzFeed series called BuzzFeed Unsolved uh, that you can watch on YouTube. And it's just these two pretty, you know, uh, pretty cute, quirky hosts who go uh, investigate Unsolved ghost or demon or supernatural stories. They also have a bunch that are just, like, true crime stories that they just, you know, they just kind of explain, sort of like a podcast, except they're on YouTube and there's video. <laughs> um, but they have a, you know, they're very charming and they have a very cute dynamic, which is basically that one of them is the is is genuinely a believer and is investigating these things in earnest, and his friend is a complete skeptic who just stands there and makes fun of him the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, they're, they're cute. They're, like, all between, like, 10 and 20 minutes, and... Some of, they're like a little bit scary. Like it's the sort of thing that like if I were watching alone in the dark, I would definitely be getting freaked out. But watching, I was watching one before we started recording, and I was like, "This is totally cool. <laughs> I can totally handle this." But yeah, but it was good. The one I just watched was about the Salem Witch Trials, and so it was like cool because they just—it's not super super thorough, but very entertaining, and they're very cute. So, um, those are my two plugs. I'm gonna probably try keep churning through the unsolved supernatural ones again, just gonna get myself in the spirit.
1: Nice. Very Halloween. How about you?
0: Exactly. What do you have? You know what are you up to? I don't know if I have like
1: anything that I would like fully shout, like recommend, but um mm-hmm. so I just wanted to tell you that I finally like I forget, you gave me this to me like two or three years ago. But I finally oh, read god. the signature of all things. <laughs> the Elizabeth. Oh Gilbert really? Book. Oh yeah. my god. Oh, it's so good. It <laughs> was actually really good. And what was interesting yeah. to me was I also read Big Magic earlier this year. Oh yeah, and yeah, I yeah. feel like the tone was exactly the same. Like it is. she has yeah. a very, I think, signature writing style, and it was mm-hmm. really interesting to see it reflected in both a self-help a book and like yeah. a 18th century or 18 18- a novel set in the 1800s. Like, yeah, I was like, but it works in both, and it. I had to say, like, like, I think her tone is like very w- wondering. Like it's kind of like yeah, she has this like yeah. tone of like wonderment, you know, mm-hmm. when she writes, which is kind of. I think, important when you're reading a novel about botany.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, because otherwise it would be incredibly boring. (laughs) Yeah, and I I just
1: really liked it, but I wanted to let you know that I finally did read it. I'm glad, yeah. I loved it, actually. That was unexpectedly good. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's easy to,
0: I'm sure we've talked about this at at various points, but it's easy to kind of write her off because she's had this Mm -hmm. big... Success in a thing that was really could be that always felt to me very cheesy, which is Eat, Pray, Love. I've never read it or seen it, but I, you know, I also kind of looked down on it for a long time and maybe still do on that particular one. But like, she's not a best selling author for no reason. She's certainly a talented writer. Yeah. and Whether or not it's your taste, I think, is totally fair game. But that was a surprising novel for me as well, where it's like, oh, you wrote this weird book about an 18th century botanist who. Well, I won't like, not that there's like a big plot twist, but I won't spoil kind of some of the reveals, but it was like, it was really, really cool. I mean, it was obviously
1: incredibly thoroughly researched. Like, (laughs) just the way she like threw stuff in there randomly, I was like, holy crap, how did you do this? Yeah, yeah. And I feel like I learned a lot, actually, as well. Mm -hmm. And now I like want to go look at some moss or something. Yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> but she's so she's also it's just really easy to read. Like, yes, yeah. it's, it's very readable. Yeah, no, it's a long book. Which is it's nice. about five
1: hundred pages, but it was a mm-hmm. quick read. Um, yeah. So I was reading that, and then also I think I've mentioned this before. I'm not sure. I started reading the Wheel of Time series, which is like that <laughs> oh, yeah, fantasy yeah, that. series uh-huh. that's like eleven volumes novels. or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm now on number four, and I okay. I don't know that I. It's like one of those things where like now I'm reading it. Probably I will finish it because I'm a completist and I can't help myself. Mm-hmm. It's not like amazing. Mm-hmm. And like most of the time, I think the characters are pretty stupid. But I was also mm-hmm. thinking that actually that's refreshing in a way because it really hammers home this idea that like they're operating with no knowledge of what they're up against. Their mm. things don't happen the way you think they will. There's always like some kind of twist. It's really frustrating. Things almost never go their way. And like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, that feels like a realistic take on fantasy, I guess. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's okay. And like some of the stuff they can do is pretty cool, but I don't know. These are really long books and I'm like, I've got like 10 more to go. Yeah, (laughs) it's a lot. Yeah. So I just pick them up every now and then when I'm like, oh yeah, I was starting that series, I should get one from the library and continue. So Mm -hmm. yeah, again, not a strong recommendation, but like it's, it's an ongoing process for me. Okay. Well, what team are you on this week?
0: Uh, Team Buffy. Yeah, absolutely. I just have to be. This is, like,
1: not allowed to be on any other team this week. Yeah. Not in my mind, anyway. (laughs)
0: Honorable mention to Chanterelle, but...
1: Yeah, that's true. She's just not... But, I mean, Buffy owns this.
0: She does, and she deserves it. Great.
1: All right, well, I'll talk to you next time for Blood Ties (laughs) and
0: whatever that one Annivers- anniversary. Uh, happy anniversary happy anniversary <laughs> yeah yeah
1: yeah <laughs> all right bye all right bye <laughs> once more with commentary is produced by me ali and me jenny our theme music
0: is from the album
1: rockingham by nerf herder and our podcast logo is by ryan cooney you can email us at scoobies at oncemorewithcommentary.com with any feedback questions comments that you have and find us on twitter and instagram at omwc podcast
0: You can also find our most recent episodes and any show notes at oncemorewithcommentary.com.